Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week quip audible and squarespace squarespace they're bringing the show to you dlc of course the show all about games and their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who's well past due for a haircut, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. It's true. My daughter will be cutting my hair uh, next week. Um so that's Because fun. why not? <laughs> I, I, that- pro- I promised her she could. And so that also... Per the St. Jude charity fundraising I'm doing, I'm excited to, I, ha- I don't have a specific times, but one, if you want to donate, you can go to my Twitter profile or in the show descriptions, all money goes to St. Jude. Two, in May, I have awesome Saturdays of streaming set up. Saturday the 2nd, it's going to be you, my friend, and Tim from a little band we like called The Midnight, yeah. um, hanging out and chatting while I play some Streets of Rage 4 in the background. Uh, the 9th. On May 9th, I'll be streaming some PUBG again with Cheapy D from Cheap Ass Gamer. We haven't played that. Neither one of us have played it since we stopped streaming it like two years ago. Uh, so that'll be fun. <laughs> that'll be fun. Then on the 16th, I'm going to be streaming with Wombat, also from Cheap Ass Gamer. And we're going to be playing some Fortnite that he's apparently been dominating in. And then on the 23rd, I'm going to be streaming with um, someone who has concerns with you, Mr. Anthony Carboni. In a yet-to-be-determined, but I imagine highly entertaining game. And then, my good friends, Fridays, I believe, the audience asked for me to play um, a little Monster Hunter. Yeah, you do Monster I, Hunter World, right? Monster Hunter World. It is a huge blind spot for me, but I have accepted that challenge, and I will be embarking on that very short, easy-to-beat game. <laughs> I can't wait for you to fall in love with that game. Uh, I want to know... A, how much your daughter had to donate to be able to cut your hair. <laughs> and B, uh, I'm uh, I'm so glad that all of this streaming that you've just announced is all to raise funds for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Is that right? That is correct. It is all in support of St. Jude. All donations go directly to St. Jude. Um, double check with your financial advisor, CPA, but it's all tax deductible. And it's to, I mean, we're in a trying time in the world right now, but there are still kids fighting to beat cancer and um i'm committed to helping them especially this year when cancer um you know played up showed up in my family i'll I'll leave it at that and uh you know we're gonna make the world a better place 
So again, uh, that's on your Twitch stream and you have all the information. We'll post a link as we did last week in the show notes for this episode and you can find it uh, also on your Twitter stream, right, buddy? Correct. Pinned to my Twitter account. Yes, sir. Very, very cool. But we do have a big honking episode for you this week. We got lots to talk about. Uh, There's news hitting, there's games to talk about, and we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that this, you know that uh, DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I'm so excited because DLC once again stands for Dodecahedron of Lifestyle and Culture. Because from Polygon.com, the one, the only, Ben Kuchera is back with us. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'll tell you what, I don't know that I'm going to be able to match that level of energy. <laughs> well, no need. I, I don't mean to pressure you. Uh, I have I have talked to no one other than my family for many days. So, uh, you know, I just, I'm just excited to be here is really what it is. You got it bottled up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And I'm excited you're here. You know, the last time you were here was... June 27th, 2016. You were saying that earlier, and that sounds really hard to believe. But yeah, I have independently verified it. And time certainly flies, doesn't it? It's a crazy, it's a crazy, it seems like a different lifetime. You know, it was, uh, we had a different president. We had, uh, we were able to leave our homes. It, it was a different time, but we're glad to have you back. But the gaming world's the same. We're getting remasters. Like nothing's changed. It's the yeah. same landscape. Yeah, Nothing's yeah, different. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's dig into all of that and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com, where cool folks hang out and talk about the show and talk about stories. You can also send us an email, if you prefer. DLCfeedback at gmail.com is where we get your emails, and we love hearing from you. Ben, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? You know, it does sound goofy right now, but like I'm oddly excited about Crisis Remastered. Yeah, is it? Yeah, what a kind of came out of nowhere this uh, this announcement. It was leaked a little bit, and then uh, it was confirmed that Crisis Remastered is coming to both PC and console. So. You know, we get a a whole new round of can your PC play Crisis, right? (laughs) Um, Did you enjoy the Crisis back in the day? I did enjoy Crisis back in the day. I I thought the series kind of began to get away from what we liked about it as um, sequels. And I think this happens with all franchises, except for Doom somehow, where it like a game comes out of nowhere like takes everyone by storm. And then as sequels and updates happen, like kind of the edges get sanded down until it just looks like everything else that's out there. And it loses the thing that hmm. got our attention in the that's first place. And I mean, look at what happened to the, um, what's the game I'm thinking of. It was an EA game with dead in the title. Dead space. <laughs> dead space. Thank you. Yes. Oh, wow. They, like, I love this game. It. Yeah, and it was like it was an amazing series and then as they continued, they just started looking like third-person horror games. They lost I think a lot of what made them so special. So like going yeah. back to what made Crisis so much fun, those huge open worlds and like 
having a little bit more freedom on how you're doing things mm-hmm. combined with what like the latest graphics cards can do, I think is actually really exciting. Like I want to, I don't mind going back in time a little bit with that franchise back to when it was like cool and fascinating and seeing, I feel like we get a second chance to see it again for the first time. How, yeah. how well we remember it looking, not what it actually looks like today. Yeah, I mean, it was it was always that benchmark game that was the the bleeding edge of how games could look graphically, and it sounds like that's the idea again. Although, although mm-hmm. it is also coming to Switch, so I don't know. That'll be interesting, right? It's coming to PlayStation Four, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch as well as PC. And on PC, it is going to support ray tracing. The um, CryEngine ray tracing API, which is their fancy API that that really ignores uh, hardware restrictions and lets ray, ray tracing happen regardless of your video card, uh, as long as you support that. Um, but I can't imagine it will be that bleeding edge if it's also going to be on Switch. Maybe on PC, there'll be lots of knobs and switches to crank up and we'll be able to have it look real pretty. I mean, it looked real pretty in, the, in its original form, um, but I can't imagine the current gen console and switch versions will be that much better, but maybe I'm wrong. I mean, what do you think Christian? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say like, and you also have to remember we won't there. They have to hit this on Xbox one and Xbox one X on PlayStation four and PlayStation four pro. And if they're, if they're going to be making use out of CryEngine's new ray tracing tech, and we're this close to the next generation of consoles, you know you have they have their eyeball on PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. So like this thing is gonna be spread over like the piece of toast that is the gaming industry <laughs> <laughs> for probably the next year, year and a half. Like I, I think they're gonna get a lot of different releases out of what sounds on paper to be one release, but it's going to look different on all of these platforms. Like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even with all of the uh, turmoil that our world is in right now, and, and I imagine we'll get some strange stuff with the release of the new consoles, as far as either pushed dates or limited supplies. So it's not, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume it's not going to look like a normal new console generation launch year. Uh, and I'm sure that's what a lot of this this calculus is taking into account. You know, a lot of these companies are saying, okay, we're going to, these releases are going to be, as you said, spread over a large piece of toast that is the gaming industry. And so, yeah, I think it, it will be about added bells and whistles rather than a big sort of new footprint, I think, um, to mix my metaphors. But But I'm excited about this. I mean, Christian, we've seen... Lots of remakes lately that are very exciting. This is back to being a remaster. So how – I mean we saw a tiny, tiny teaser that uh, that was released in in the official announcement. It really didn't show what to expect with what this thing looks like. Are you just looking for that sweet, sweet ray tracing? Is that going to be enough to get you excited or, or what do you think? I mean short answer, yes. Long answer, uh-huh. Um, the first crisis – was as I remember it, and I played it. I mean, it's probably been several years, but it feels like not that long ago. I've I've liked the Crisis franchise, and while I agree it changed in in very substantial ways over the years, I thought Crisis Three was a lot of fun. I enjoyed the bow. 
Um, I liked the, I think it, that was the one where you were in New York also, or like the urban scenes where you kind of came out of the tunnel. Yeah. I, I thought it was a really fun game. Crisis They 1- went really heavy into the, the suit having like three trajectories that you, you know, stealth mm-hmm. or melee or, you know, soldiery guy, I guess. Um, I don't remember if the first one was quite as heavy in those three, you know, avenues. It's, they all mesh together a bit in my head, to be honest with you. Yeah, the third game, I remember being more linear, you know, with some open areas where you could kind of do some sneaking. But the first game, it was like an island, right? <laughs> like, go right, go right. do these things. You're on this island. And I really enjoyed it. I think my copy of three came with a HD remake, HD console version of one again. So I probably played through half of it then. Um, but I, I think like a full blown remaster has me very excited. The question mark is, and while I love Switch ports, and I look to buy The Witcher 3 on Switch pretty much every day. Uh, <laughs> I hover over buying yet another copy of that game. Um, I, I do question how much the version of, that version holds back other versions. I think Ben's point is a great one that this thing has to cover a wide swath of you know consoles and specs and whatever. But I would love to see like what's the RE2 of Crisis, you know, or like something yeah. Final Fantasy VII of Crisis. Like I, I, would I don't love think to they're doing that, like that though. I, I don't think, think so I think- either. Yeah, I think this is more the, you know, better textures and and more of the remaster than the remake. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, But it's exciting. I agree with Ben. It's exciting. Uh, And it's a game that I remember fondly. And it's it's cool. It'll be really interesting to see. It feels to me like this is their way of saying, hey, the CryEngine is still very viable in the era of ray tracing. And we want to show you with something that we made that was really pretty and we're going to show you it's pretty again. And I'm, I'm ready to be wowed again. You know, I like, I always love those games that are like, we're here to show you what's possible graphically and have it be scalable. Right. I mean, a big part of their business was, or is their engine. And you see things like unreal Four scaling across switch to bleeding edge PC. We've seen I id tech seven, id tech six went to switch. I don't think seven's on switch, but eternal, should be when that switch port comes out. And so that's, I think it's like a showcase for an engine and, and what it can be. Do either of you two have cards that can do ray tracing? Have, have you seen we, the glory? Yes, we both do. We both are, are shouting from the rooftops uh, as to how impressive it is, especially with games like control. Yeah. You know, I think control for both of us was the game that really convinced us that it's special. Um, so yeah, we're, we're full on invested in the uh, ray tracing generation for sure. Yeah, that that Minecraft beta has been uh, has been something else. I'm just fussing around with like the pre-made levels they released right now. I, it's so weird. I downloaded it, and I, I it's been so long since I played Minecraft. I I thought I owned it on P. I mean, I know I owned it on PC, but I guess I didn't own it on PC post Microsoft purchasing it. Yeah, you or, need the Windows something. 10 version. There's yeah. like Minecraft, and then there's like the the multi console Minecraft, and then there's the Windows. 10 version i have no idea how it works other than you do need that specific windows 10 version to get the beta it's weird yeah i was like i i want to try this out i don't 30 dollars want to try this out but i do want to try this out so i downloaded the like you can try it for a while thing and it and it wasn't clear to me how to make the ray tracing happen i had to you have to get specific ray tracing worlds or something i was confused there's like a, a world pack you have to download you have to use then you have to go to it's so great you have to go to the xbox insider app 
and right. then log into the beta from there, not from Minecraft, because that would make sense. And <laughs> and then you can't just turn it on once you've done both of those things. You have to restart Minecraft completely, and in some cases even reinstall it. They're not sure why. This was just part of the troubleshooting guide. Uh, right. <laughs> you need to then uh, sacrifice a, a mountain goat. <laughs> which is so hard in, in this uh, quarantine environment. I uh, thought yeah. a domesticated goat would be fine. It wasn't. I was on the <laughs> oh, phone man. with tech support. I had to go find a mountain goat. But once everything gets running, it's just bizarre to see such a – everything is giant blocks with photorealistic lighting. Your brain just doesn't know what to do with it. I've definitely looked at a number of YouTube videos and are very impressed. I mean it's it's such a cool mishmash of like super – primitive and super futuristic at the same time it's like oh what a cool thing but yeah yeah ray tracing for the win as far as we're concerned also uh, i love the tech support call where they're like have you turned it off and turned it back on yeah well have you sacrificed the goats anyway christian spicer what is your story of the week well my biggest story of the week is the jeff canada i'm about to pull um uh-oh. One, I mentioned it that on the second I'll be playing it and streaming it, and it's because Streets of Rage 4 has a release date, and it's the 30th, and it's going to be on everything, also day and date on Game Pass. Dude, I'm so excited for this game. There's not, I, I don't, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it's pretty incredible. Retro pixels, all these characters, remixes of soundtrack. Very exciting. Yeah, it's $25 or... To us, we are already paying for it. It's already ours. Yes. So I'm to excited. The 10 years of Game Pass, Microsoft gave me for a dollar or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we will be talking about that a lot come the 30th. I'm yeah, sure. I'm very excited. Um, my right. story is the story that has been my story since 1992 when the first Batman game was announced. You see, back then there was an upstart studio that made this Chronicles of Riddick game and there were whispers. Um, there's more potential leaked info on Montreal, WB Montreal, who made Batman Arkham Origins. There, this is your this is your every couple of weeks uh, Montreal update <laughs> story. We we I think we've done a Batman game from WB Montreal every other week for the last six months. It seems. So I'll, I mean, if it, Rocksteady ends up being the one that makes it, I'll pivot to Rocksteady too. Yeah, I don't I don't mind. You know, whoever. Well, it seems pretty clear that this one's happening before the Rocksteady one, but. Yeah, seeing as how they were tweeting teaser images like leading up to the Game Awards, <laughs> then there was nothing. Yeah, and then they're like, "We're gonna, it's gonna be huge at E3." It's like, no, there's not gonna be anything. <laughs> oh man, oh man! <laughs> Celebrating Batman's birthday with this teaser announcement. Does this make you mean, mean you're making a Batman game? Stay tuned. Okay, uh, I'm staying. T- well, so now I am staying tuned. Uh, more leaks. Uh, this out of Geeks Worldwide. That it is going to be the Batman game. Originally, yes, those leaks of the Damian Wayne Arkham game were true, but it was canceled. There's a lot out of this, apparently, too. Rocksteady had a few games that were kind of canned earlier. Like their Superman game, I guess, was real and in some aspect of development, whatever that was, before it was um, kicked to the curb. But this is now WB Montreal kind of rebooting the Arkham Batman universe, not Damien, your Bruce soft reboot. It's going to have multiplayer of some form or fashion. And we'll also, we can talk about any parts of this that you all find interesting, but the part I found the most interesting is that this is meant supposedly to be the kickoff for the 
Arkhamverse or whatever they call it, like this unified world of WB DC character games. We'll start with this Bat WB, family, the Batfam. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, Ben, what your take is on this, uh, the saga. I mean, it's been the most uh, compelling crossover forever for me, the will they, won't they <laughs> announce this game. Like, here's my thought on it, and I'm just going to throw this idea out here, and it's going to sound a little wild, so bear with me. Maybe, maybe don't. Maybe don't. <laughs> maybe, maybe just release one game. See if that game is good. See if, see if people dig it. See if it sells through the roof. And then, maybe just keep those, pa- keep those plans in your back pocket. For like no, a- we've assembled an entire dark universe of actors who will be playing all of the universal monsters over the next 15 years. Wait, what? The first movie tanked? Oh, no. Justice League was great. Like, DC's never messed this up before, Ben. So <laughs> I this, is, this is true. I mean, we saw, we knew that Star Wars was only going to get better with Disney, and they just really, one cohesive story stretched across multiple directors seamlessly landed no one had a negative thing to say i think the entire industry as a whole is just getting so good at this everything it hasn't just been marvel doing it well anymore with everyone going why can't we do it marvel's doing it now it's just everyone left and right hit after hit after hit I remember just sitting there with that Johnny Depp Invisible Man film, my jaw on the floor going, you beautiful bastards. <laughs> you did it again. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, I mean, we I should announce We should announce now. Um, this is the first episode of the DLC Podcast for Universe. Um, yes. We, uh, we have, we have uh, other podcasts lined up that are going <laughs> to pick up the threads that we're laying down um you have to listen to all of them to understand anything to really get it after after the show is over wait 15 minutes and then there's an extra scene at the end where we announce the uh the dlc initiative and you've been wondering where mark from marketing's been this whole time yeah (laughs) and it kind of does already sound like they're not having the best of luck with these games like the development is always tumultuous way more so than you know, the public gets a sense of because things are often canned way before they're announced. But if we're going through hints of things that don't end up happening and then rumors of a Superman game and then this didn't happen and this was real, but it was canned. It's like, you know, I, I would love to see it happen and have it be amazing. I'm just skeptical. I'm always yeah. so skeptical of these attempts. Well, I'm hoping for a very detailed and in-depth Polygon article at some point about the uh, road to the release of after these games come out and we can, we can get a post-mortem that, you know, is fascinating. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I the, the least interesting trajectory for all of this is the soft reboot of the games that we already had, right? I, I am very excited about a co-op version with playable Bat Family. Like if we can play as Batman and Robin or Batman and Nightwing or Catwoman and Nightwing or, you know, any combination of characters through this kind of a story, I think that'd be super cool and feel like a fresh way into a familiar experience. But man, by the end, of, I know, Christian, you disagree with me, but by the end of this series, I just felt like I'd spent enough time in dark, gritty Gotham and doing basically the same things again. And I, as I think refined and high caliber as the games are across the board for the most part, um, 
I just wanted something fresh and interesting. That's why I was excited about a Superman. That's why I was excited about a, a Damian Wayne. That's why I was excited about taking the Batman world and looking at it through a, a new kaleidoscope, a new perspective. I, maybe that's what it will be. Maybe it will be a, when they say soft reboot, maybe it'll be, uh, you know, harder than it is soft. Uh, maybe it'll really feel fresh and interesting, but man, this just keeps, seeming to me like it's going to be more of the same, which I'm less excited about personally. Yeah. I'm okay with another one. <laughs> yeah, I know you love these games. You love these games. I mean, and that's I, cool. They're, they're great games. Well, I think to some extent, and I don't mean this negatively at all. Spider-Man was another one, right? Like I, I like these felt games. So different dude. It felt the Spider-Man felt so fresh and interesting and had such, I don't know. It just, it just, being in New York City just felt different than being in dark, gritty Gotham again. But like yeah. Spider Spider Man didn't do anything. Th- this is the the thing I think that's different from games than any other art form is the ideas are meaningless. It has everything to do with execution. Because Spider Man was the most rote Spider Man game you could possibly ask for. Oh, they're doing all the villains you know in a story arc you know in a city you know with him doing Spider Man things. We just had a movie. We just had like 16 movies. I think Andrew Garfield was in 13 of them. No one saw them. (laughs) Um, Like on paper, it just sounds like, Jesus, do we need more Spider's Man? But the execution of it was so good. And they were able to really make everything seem fresh and new, even though like narratively, they didn't really go into many brand new places. Like if they can pull off something like that, but the reason why that was such a miraculous thing is because it is so hard to do and everyone's tried it. So that's a really excellent point. I think you're, you're, it, it is the devil's in the details and Spider-Man got a lot of those details, right? And to be fair, the Arkham games have gotten a lot of those details, right? So maybe there's nothing to, to suggest they won't again, especially with the amount of time it's taken and iterations that seem to have been attempted and abandoned. So maybe they're committed to making great games here and it's just taking long because, they're finding ways to make great games. I mean, I think that's the optimistic view, right? If I've learned anything, it's that making great AAA games is easy. Yeah. That's yeah, not no, hard. Definitely... It doesn't take people working long hours. Things don't get changed at the last minute. Release dates never move. <laughs> yeah. If there's anything we've learned about doing seven years of this show. <laughs> All right. My story of the week. Um, I guess I'm going to go with, uh, I think I'm going to go with, with this cyberpunk, 2077 limited edition Xbox One X that's available in June, a full <laughs> three months before the game. It's available on a console that you probably don't want to play it on. Um, I just find this fascinating. Clearly, this is this is an example of a deal in place before a game is announced as being delayed. And it really, I think, the thing that I find so interesting and the reason I would bring it up as a story of the week is that when you when gamers complain about a game being delayed and oh my god I'm not going to be able to play it until 3 months later or whatever it is they so few of them think through all of the ramifications all of the things that had to happen for this company to announce a delay all of the reasons they didn't want to do that <laughs> and this is a, I think a prime example clearly there was a very big very complicated deal with microsoft to have a custom xbox one x created sold 
brought to the retail channel all around a very specific date and time that this game was going to come out. And it's still coming out. This this one terabyte Cyberpunk 2077 limited edition Xbox One X is still coming out in June when the game was supposed to come out. Uh, but the game is not coming out until September 17th. Now, if then, we, we hope, we hope September 17th. Um, it, I think it's a pretty cool looking box. If you like that kind of thing, if you're into, if you're into cyberpunk, if you're into custom consoles, I think the controller is pretty bland and disappointing. Uh, but I, for me, the, the story here, that's so much more interesting is timing. And, you know, if this game is coming out September 17th, we're theoretically a month or two away from new consoles, which it also is going to work on. And you would think Microsoft is going to be more excited about selling you those than an Xbox one X. This is such a strange product at a strange time, June for people to pick up new Xbox one X's because they're so excited about a game. They won't be able to play for several months later. It's baffling and fascinating to me. What's your take, Ben? It's like, these are the things you get to see so rarely in this industry where everything is, you know, locked down. Like, we have crunch culture for a reason. These deadlines have so much money attached to it uh, in terms of marketing spend, in terms of finding a spot to release something where you won't be crowded out by something even bigger. And then you're tying it to hardware that's part of a larger plan to get people into the next platform and everything about this particular release went poorly. Like this is every mistake, not even mistake because some of it's just in the hands of God, you know, this is just everything that could go wrong with the game being delayed. And we hope we're still getting consoles, new consoles by the end of the year, but there's a worldwide pandemic, which, um, Everyone saw coming, but no one, like, in any government took it seriously. So, cool. Now we're in the thick of that. And it's just, it is bizarre how much money and backroom deals go into this sort of thing. And this is just one of those cases where it all added up to have no, like, defense against all of it going badly, And so we have this kind of orphan product that I'm sure is going to appeal to super fans of the franchise. I think, I, I think we can call cyberpunk a franchise. It's, it's been around for a hot minute, but like, yeah, it's so strange to me. And I can't remember anything like this ever happening before in this way by the console. You can't play the game yet. We hope the game is coming soon. And that you won't immediately replace this with an Xbox Series X, but uh, it might not. And you may if we release that by the end of the year. Good luck. No one knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think I think the term orphaned product is such a perfect one to describe this. Um, Christian, who gets this? Who buys this? I feel like the whole point of these custom consoles is for the person that for whom this game is a reason to get a console. You know, if if I'm told that Xbox One X is going to be the best version of Cyberpunk 2077, and I don't have an Xbox One X, and I'm a super Cyberpunk fan, I run out and buy that Xbox One X Cyberpunk bundle, and I'm in. But 
and I feel like that's been that's been the whole methodology of these things up to this point is hey you want to play that Halo and you don't have an Xbox we got this like cool bundled Halo thing or and it, it, to put this out in June when the game is not coming till September it, it who is this for? Well, I'll have a serious answer in a minute, but the short, quippy answer is it's for friend of the show, Paris, right? He's a big cyberpunk fan. (laughs) He'll buy it to have on the shelf. Um, uh, Paris, I hope they send you one because I know it'd make you so happy. Um, The longer answer is I feel like there had to have been at least some emails or slacks or I guess not slacks. What's the Microsoft one called? Meeting? No. I don't. Talk. Remote talk chat solution there's I, a think microsoft- it's a, I think it's minesweeper <laughs> there's a microsoft slack i forget what it's called apologies microsoft um there had to have been some conversations about this and i think that you pointed to the problems and one this was probably all negotiated when cyberpunk was on before cyberpunk was on microsoft's e3 stage last year right like that was a huge yeah. thing to have there especially with keanu and all that went into that this is a big branding partnership for them And then to have the game get delayed, if you delayed this console, then I think it becomes more of a question mark as it gets closer to the Series X is, you know, current release window. And so I think they wrestled with the decision, like, do we push this console and release it closer to the game coming out, but then even closer to the Series X coming out? Or do we get this thing out in the summer as like a nice new cycle bump, keep it going when it's going to come out for just the hardcore fans and just kind of take, you know, it is what it is kind of moment and move on. And I think that's kind of the lesser of the few evils they saw in front of them and the route they took. I mean, I, I guess think- you're right. I guess make putting, putting out this console in September would make even less sense. I guess you're right. If the, if the series X is still coming out in the November world, you know, and it's called teams. Thank you, chat. It's called teams. teams. Yeah. <laughs> so I think I teams, think- that's the thing that every time I, Windows 10 updates, it wants me to log into, and I just click close. <laughs> well, maybe you could be getting the secret uh, hot scoop. On this but then I have, to, I have to log into the insider and sacrifice that goat. It's just a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But I think it's what it is. I think they're kind of, they built this thing and they're kind of stuck with it. And CD Projekt Red has said that, I mean, who knows how true it is, uh, but they've said that the Series X version of Cyberpunk isn't day and date with that console. So the Xbox one X might be the best way to play cyberpunk on a console for a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody have any comments on, did you guys see what it looked like? This it glows this in the dark. Console? It does glow in the dark, uh, glow in the dark letter rings or letterings, <laughs> letterings. Yeah. Glow in the dark letterings It has letters that glow in the dark, uh, not letter rings. Um, I get so frustrated yeah. every time I turn my lights off and I'm like, why aren't all, any of my consoles <laughs> showing me glow in the dark lettering? What do I have to do? This is so true. This technology has been around for more than a, a few seconds. Like for the love of God, give me some glow in the dark lettering. Yeah. I just, uh, I have a console that just sits there in the dark and doesn't do any, it just sits there in the dark. <laughs> hey guys, do I have good news for you? <laughs> what was it the Wii or the Wii U that when it was like you would download an update in the middle of oh, the yeah, night the Wii. and you would get that pulsing blue light yeah. that was like yeah. eerie when you like went downstairs yeah. to get a glass of water and you're like, what does it want? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is it getting for me right now? Yeah. All right. Well, I have one other thing I wanted to just talk about quickly. 
And that is that we got confirmation that Gamescom 2020 is still happening. It's still happening in August, even though the German government is banning all public gatherings until the end of August. Uh, Gamescom is not changing their date, but it will be an all digital event. Um, obviously, we're in a new paradigm. This is a, a new world. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to get some quick reactions on whether that's a good thing. I mean, Gamescom, I think more than more than E3, more than most of the big uh, industry conventions, is a fan event. It's about fans being in a place and seeing things. That's not going to be how it'll be. Uh, they are refunding all of the tickets they have sold, evidently. Um, but Ben, are you in favor of the show going on as a digital event or do you think we should just sort of not do these things and wait until we're able to actually make them physical events i i don't think anyone wants to not do them i i like the idea of events right when we're organizing press cycles around things that are happening where people know to pay attention for these dates because they're going to get trailers and news and you know new things happening but like and, and this isn't a new thing for the past however many years, like the in-person, the in, the in-person, the traveling to a place to attend one of these things, that has never been less important. Like, yeah. do, do people really enjoy waiting in line for 10 hours to play like a scripted 20 minute demo of something that they could just as easily see on YouTube? It's they must. They pay a lot of money to do that. And it and it baffles me. And the bigger an event gets, the harder it is for the press to do their job. And I'm not sure we're losing much by moving these things to purely digital things. I really like I think E3 as we know it is pretty much dead. But I think the week of E3 is always going to be alive because it's like it's gotten to the point where it's going to turn into like Super Bowl without the game, right? Like we don't have to have two teams show up at a physical location to do the thing. We just want the commercials. And that's <laughs> and that's kind of what it's turning into, where the physical event, the anchor that like gives all of this a, a specific date and a meaning, doesn't need to be there anymore for it to be an event where people, you know, they're tuning into streams, whether they're official or they're run by press organizations. And hopefully they do have a way to download games. I think the idea of releasing limited demos that like anyone can download and play is amazing. Um, the news is still going to be there. The attention is still going to be there. People still love packaging a bunch of different events together, even if it's virtual and the real world showing up in your, you know, your, meat sack of a body in this particular place for a certain amount of time hasn't made sense in a while. And it hasn't brought much to the experience. And I'm not that sad to, to lose it, to be honest, you look, you look at things like packs and, you know, I like packs a great deal. Like I worked for Penny Arcade for a number of years and I loved going there and I love meeting people, but that's almost the games are almost an excuse for like-minded people to get together and to socialize. And the socialization is the goal. If you're making games, the goal and learning about new games and playing new games, if that's the goal, if the information is the reason for all of it, going to something in person is kind of the, the least efficient and effective way to do it. 
anymore. I think you make excellent points there, especially making the distinction between packs and then more industry focused events like E3 or, or Gamescom or, or in particular GDC. I would just maybe argue a little more in favor of the, 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 the side effect of being there, which is the socialization, right? That's not the main factor of, of an E3, but it, it, it is a result, right? We, we do, I would see you, for example, I would see industry colleagues, I would connect to people. And I'm sure that happens across all uh, divisions of, of the labor force of the industry. You know, that is, you know, producers are meeting producers, artists are meeting uh, other designers. It is, I think those things are important. And I think you kind of lose some of that in a digital environment. But I take your point. And I, and I think you're absolutely right. And I, and I think as the industry progresses and kind of the way it has, the, the means we have to meet more people physically in person just within the industry are lessening. Um, and I think that's only going to get worse. Like, let's say in a perfect world, it's 12 months from now and, you know, we have the vaccine or we have the treatment and we don't have to worry about uh, COVID-19. Um I think a lot of businesses are going to rethink how they're doing things and they're going to say, listen, a lot of us can telecommute. Like we don't need as many offices. It's better for the environment. We're not spending as much time on in our cars or in mass transit. Like there's so many upsides to this. We're going to save money, but it, it will be further movement away from each other physically. And I think, you know, especially in America, we're already have such a, this is getting deep already have such a, a loneliness epidemic where we're really like all kind of socked away in the suburbs and there isn't a lot of in-person socialization and community is breaking down a little bit in favor of virtual everything that learning, learning how to balance it. Even if I think this is overall an interesting thing for the industry, looking at society as a whole, we definitely need to figure out some way to get more people together in the same physical space and playing video games. Christian, what do you think? Uh, are you happy to see Gamescom 2020 still happening? I am. I, I, I question what, and I, I think smarter people than myself are figuring this out or have figured it out, but I, I'm curious kind of what these virtual conventions kind of bring to the table versus everybody just doing their own thing. Like, because they if in a world where like they have the space and there's like a big PR blitz and a place you can get tickets and like Blizzard has done a good job with it before of like the digital BlizzCon but understanding like how many more eyeballs will my game get as being part of digital Gamescom versus we put out our own trailer or own keynote some other time and so I imagine for some games or publishers or developers it probably does help to you know, piggyback or jump onto a bandwagon with a larger event. But for others, it's like, I don't know who needs who more, right? Does Gamescom need these big companies to help sell their event? Or do these companies need something like Gamescom, Gamecom's Twitch account to broadcast far and wide? That's kind of what the Game Awards has been, right? Like we've talked about it before. Jeff has a live audience there, but it is primarily a digital only, like that the audience is for people at home. And so I think there is kind of proven value in having this big event that showcases all of these things on one digital stage together that people can, t- can 
watch and consume in their homes. And I'm curious how Gamescom's pivot to that is, is going to be and, and how what value they're arguing they're adding to the people they're trying to partner with. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, especially as this as this crisis continues in, in the world, um, how different organizations handle that and where we go. And I, I, I agree with Ben that I think this is an accelerant to something that was already happening. And we will come out the other side of this if if there is, you know, a fixed other side, uh, we will come out the other side of this. I think the world forever changed. It will not, will not be just back to normal. There's no reverting back to before COVID. It will, it will be different. And I think in a lot of ways better. And in some ways we'll have lost some things. So it'll be interesting. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's move on and talk about the games that we have been playing. But first I need to thank our sponsor, which is Squarespace. If you're talking about an all digital world, Oh my goodness, you need to know about Squarespace because an all digital world means you need to have a website. If you want to showcase your work, if you want to have any any, any reason to be online, if you have a business, you got to have an, a website for your business. At this point, there's no way to have just a physical business. If you just want to announce something or publish content, blog, any reason you would need a website. And at this point, we all do. Squarespace is the best way to create your own. You can make it yourself. You do not have to hire someone. You do not have to learn HTML. It's simple with the tools that Squarespace provides because it's all drag and drop. It's all what you see is what you get. Easy, easy, easy stuff. You just start with a uh, a professionally made template. They have many on Squarespace. And then you start messing with it, futzing with it. Uh, you can uh, make it your own very, very simply. And they all look great. You can drop in e-commerce functionality. You don't have to worry about how difficult that is. It's just drag and drop. Uh, plus, they have a built-in uh, analytics engine to help you grow in real time. They never have anything to upgrade or patch ever, ever, ever. That all happens in the background for you. They have 24-7 award-winning customer support in case you run into any problems. I've been using Squarespace for my website, jeffcanada.com, for over a decade. I love it. I recommend it highly to all my friends. Plus, if you go to squarespace.com slash me right now, you get a free trial where you can build your website without even having to give them a credit card. And then when you're ready to launch your website, just use the promo code JeffSentMe, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word. You'll get 20% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. You can just buy domains there as well. They have over 200 extensions. So do it. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me and the promo code Jeff sent me for 10% off. All right. It's time to talk about the games that we have been playing. Ben, what? How have you been filling your time in these these days of video games? It's it's, it's a little bit of a wide swing, but I've been playing Eggs Inc. on uh, my Android device, or is it Egg Inc.? Hmm. It's the it's it's a clicker game where you, you are managing chickens and they're laying eggs. It's a like cookie clicker, but with eggs. Okay. And chickens and Doom Eternal. And uh, those two games, yes, definitely, definitely two sides of the same coin there. <laughs> but it's it's like I, I don't know that we've, I don't know that many of us have ever been in a situation where we've been using games so heavily to like 
deal with anxiety and stress. Yeah. I mean, that's always a part of the hobby, right? Like that's, I think why so many of us love it. You get to, you get to take a break from uh, your day to day uh, problems, but there's just so much going on right now. And I feel like, I feel like some of the sillier games in some of the, the games that are a little bit more mechanical in terms of your clickers and things like animal crossing have just never been more comforting. And I, in a very odd way, I feel the same way about Doom Eternal. It's like, yeah. you know, Doom has always been a very simple game. You just run around and you you blow stuff up, and that's always been the joy of it. But Doom Eternal just has so many systems and so many things to be juggling and keeping in mind and thinking about how you're approaching a problem or a part that, or a battle that you're stuck on. That like there's no room for anything else while you're playing it well. Yeah. And that a bit, that's a great way to put it. It's, yeah. it's so great that like I can put everything down and for those like 90 minutes or so I'm playing the game, that's all I have room for. I'm laser focused on figuring out when do I want to use my grenades? When do I want to use the ice attack? You know, when do I want to use the flames? Is it more important that I get health or am I chainsawing someone for ammo and just making all of those decisions, when to dash, when to hold your dash, you have a nearly unmanageable level of tactical options on a moment to moment basis. But once it all clicks, it just feels so great to play other than the Marauders. So Doom, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, Doom Eternal has just been like, I'm scared of it being over because I'm not sure what I'm going (laughs) to move on onto since I'm enjoying it so much. But the- yeah, I had the same. I had the same thought when I played it. Um, is that I? I assumed that during this time when it was released, I would. The last thing I would want to do is fight demons in hell. I thought, oh my, it's going to be. I'm already feeling like I'm in hell. I don't. <laughs> I don't need to do it in a virtual environment. And it was the complete opposite experience. Exactly as you're talking, it, it is. It was weirdly cathartic, and it felt good. And I think. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's such an assault on your senses that you have no other choice but to be completely focused on the game and not be able – it just edges out any other concerns that you yeah, have. Yeah, it, it fills out all the edges. It expands to fill as much you know attention as you're willing to give it. And the soundtrack just yeah. is amazing – Everything about it. I'm playing it on my gaming PC and I have everything just completely turned up so I can, you know, bask in the eye candy. And it's just, it feels like such a good game at such the right time. It's it's really getting me through. I'm digging it a lot, way more than I expected it to. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the same feeling. It's, it's, it is an excellent game and it, you're, you're fighting 400 creatures at the same time, trying to decide, as you said, I cycle through all the myriad things that you're supposed to be able to have to keep track of to play the crazy game of rock, paper, scissors that you have to play. And yeah, then the, the guitar riff just cranks up in your ears and it's just like your eyes are bleeding, your ears are bleeding and your brain is just like, finally, I cannot think about anything other than this. It's so great. Um, tell me about, tell me about eggs Inc. Is that, is it really the other side of the spectrum as as far as like just being able to zone out and do something mindlessly over time? So I've, I've, 
I've been thinking about why I'm so like enamored of this game for the past month or so, and I think the answers I've gotten to are actually kind of dark. I, I think the re- I think the reason why because an egg is a symbol for birth and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think like no, but also <laughs> like it does. I do think there's a, a deeper reason for it. I think we've gotten so trained in the year of our Lord 2020 to be like so aware of our productivity. What are we doing? Like, yeah. how, how am I, how am I pushing my career forward? Am I writing enough? Am I editing enough? What do I need to do? Am I, I have three hours of spare time at night. Do I want to be teaching myself music production? If I'm practicing the guitar, am I practicing enough to get better? If it, should I pick this up? I hear knitting's very calming. Maybe I should knit. Oh God, I'm behind on my knitting. I haven't read a physical book. It like we drive ourselves and there's so much pop culture now that even opening up, you know, Hulu or Netflix or Disney plus begins to feel like you're behind on your homework. Cause like yeah, everyone's talking true. about season three of Westworld and you're still on, uh, you know, trying to find time to watch the last episode of devs. And if you haven't heard of devs, it's amazing. You should watch it. I'm so sorry. I just piled something else onto every one of your listeners, but, <laughs> but these, these clicker games where you're not thinking about it much, where you're, you really are just like making the numbers go up. My theory is that it like scratches that itch of needing to feel like we're being productive in some way. Well, allowing us to keep enough of our brain cycles that we can also still be somewhat bored and thinking about other things. It's like productivity methadone. It's like, <laughs> it's like clearly I'm doing something because the numbers are going up. I'm being productive because I think many of us panic if we're not being productive in some way. It, good point, yeah. man. Here's yeah. 100 good point points. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a, it's the placebo of, of productivity. <laughs> Yeah, and so like I can play this, but I don't feel like I have to do much, and my mind still has time to like wander a little bit, or have a daydream, or even you know horror of horrors get bored a little bit, so that my brain can crunch on things in the background. I I think there is something. I think Animal Crossing is very much the same way. I don't know that a lot of people are playing Animal Crossing to do things. I think a lot of people are playing Animal Crossing because it's so nice to have something that tells you you've done enough for the day. It's okay to put this down. Yeah, I play it while listening to the Doom Eternal soundtrack, so I think you're playing it wrong. You know, it gets real aggressive. <laughs> what's, what's the price of a turnip? Open your gates. Open your gates. Where do your gates go? My island's called Hell. It's pretty Man, uh, that is a that's a great take. I I love it. I'm sure there you're accurate uh, on a lot of that. And it is a weird thing that we. I was just having this conversation with my wife uh, just the last couple of days about you know this weird pressure that we put on ourselves to be efficient all the time and be doing things that move move things forward and get stuff done and and then you go like, well, I mean, I don't have enough. I don't have enough free time okay well now free time is a chore that i need to fit in and like let's get free time let's get some free time up in here you know it's all like pressurized 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 and i think you make a great point about that it's so maybe people more people need to know about eggs inc 
And it's not a newer game. It's been around for forever. It's just one of those weird, like, slightly predatory free-to-play clicker games that for, for what, like, just, just to be clear, I'm not saying other people need to go track this down. I'm not saying, like, have you tried Crystal Meth? Because it's really, I'm, I have triple the amount of energy I used to. I'm in no way saying that. Um, but yeah, like for whatever reason, it's just, it, it, it's really clicking right now and it's, I'm finding it helpful. I don't think it's the healthiest thing, but I mean, (laughs) when you're drowning, whatever floats, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist? Nothing new, um, either sadly or refreshingly. So, um, still a lot of animal crossing being played in our house. Lots of animals being crossed off the list as they die. Animal crossing. Um, uh, but what I've gone back to, and I find it very delightful and kind of that, I think kind of the same way, um, as Ben was describing doom eternal. I've gone back to the messenger, which you've heard me talk about on this show a number of times is kind of my platforming game that I keep going back to. It's, you know, picture a Nintendo era Ninja Gaiden style game. And it's expertly done. There's great DLC for it. And I'm playing it now um, with the um, Switch Super Nintendo controller that they came out with. And it's just such a nice, it it feels throwback in a way. Like I have a hard time kind of, uh, I don't know, I've had a hard time focusing, (laughs) I guess. And I've, I've found comfort in retro games um be it you know playing stuff on my mega sg and stuff like that but the messenger has has scratched that itch of feeling like a retro game where i'm kind of able to relax and have the feeling of youth when times were simpler um but also be working on a game in my backlog that i've yet to finish and it remains an incredible game i think it's on sale it's almost always on sale somewhere (laughs) Uh, i think it's on game pass for pc as well but it's a phenomenal game and playing it with that Super Nintendo controller for Switch really, I think, drives home the nostalgia. So I think that's kind of going to kind of get me through for a little while. But nothing else really uh, this past week. Well, I'm still playing Fan- Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, you're probably going to hear me talk about that for at least another week because I'm, you know, I'm slowly making my way through with the uh, the few hours that I'm able to devote to it. But I'm I'm still really enjoying the process of playing the game. Even as I can't help but notice things that I find baffling about its design. Um, I talked last week a lot about the the fighting system, which I continue to – I found a, a groove and there, there's a fun challenge. You know, there's definitely been a couple of fights as I get into the mid, mid to, you know, last third of the game. Uh, there are fights that I fail and then I'll try again and do a different strategy. So it's not that I don't think the combat system is strategic. I just – preferred the days when it was purely strategic uh, and it wasn't a button mashing affair. And, and I just, I just fundamentally don't enjoy the, the babysitting. It feels like babysitting. It's like, Oh, I have to jump over to the other character. Not because, not because it's the most strategically smart thing to do. It's because, or what I want to do It's because I know that the, the AI that is running that character on my own team right now, is not doing the smartest thing it could be doing. Uh, and that that is just not particularly fun. But the thing I really want to talk about today is just a sort of pacing and game design level uh, discussion. There's a section in Final Fantasy VII Remake that has you uh, set yourself up for a fight by moving through a series of rooms 
collecting these data cards, these little key cards. Uh, each room only has one, but each room, as you progress through, there's four rooms and there's bad guys in each of the rooms. You defeat all the bad guys. Then you have, then you uh, loot a key card that's laying on a table and you can put the key card in one of these consoles. And by the fourth room, there's four consoles and it, it, they get more and more options as to what they'll do. So each console will, by putting a data card into it, by putting one of those key cards into it, will remove an ability from this big, big bad guy that you're going to have to face after this, these four rooms are concluded. And that I think is a, actually a kind of a clever, cool idea to say, Hey, all your efforts, you can make decisions that will impact a fight that you're going to have, except for the fact that you have no context for which is the best decision to make. You're given a description in each of the consoles about what you are taking away from the bad guy. There's like a big bomb that it can do. There's AI routines. There's a, a, a stun effect. And it says if you put in a key card, you remove its ability to do it. It can do those things less often. But you don't have any concept of which of those things is going to be most problematic for you in the fight. You don't have any idea as to which will be most advantageous for you to remove because you haven't experienced this enemy yet. You're just blindly going, boy, it sounds like that would be bad. I'll spend one of my key cards on that. And then at the end of those rooms, you come to a readout and it says, okay, here's what the bad guy looks like. This big, bad mech robot thing. Uh, it's got only one of three of the big bombs left. It's got two of three of the AI routines left and it's got four of four of its, you know, stunny bits left or whatever it is. Again, information that would have been useful earlier because I didn't know there were three. I could have eliminated one completely instead of spreading around my key cards. But also, I still have no idea what that really means. And to me... This is like a major game design problem, right? There's, I have no sense of what I could have done to do this better. Maybe on a second playthrough, it would be great. And I beat this bad guy based on my pure random assignment of key cards. My feeling of like, oh, that sounds right. I'll just plug the key card into that console. Who cares? And I was able to defeat that enemy the first try are there so, other ways okay. that you solve puzzles in games because you just sound like you're describing me in every puzzle and every just trying it randomly <laughs> i'm joking uh, but, but what i would have liked i would have liked that decision to be a really real nail biter a real um head scratcher you know a real a real moment of decision a real strategic moment where I go, oh my gosh, I only have one key card and I have all these awesome options and I know what they mean and I know what it, the ramifications, oh gosh, what should I do? This is so cool. That's what it should have felt like, right? But it doesn't feel like that because the game, it's all backwards. It, it, I only find out what the result of my key card, I actually never find out because I don't have a baseline, right? I don't have, I don't know what it would, what would have happened in the fight if I didn't use any key cards because I just get to the fight and I do it the one time based on the key cards that I've spent. Yeah. And I'm reminded of a, a game that uh, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, Half-Life Alex, which I think is 
as several of Valve's games are, a masterclass in game design and a masterclass in the opposite of this. Because this is a game where it establishes exactly what the stakes are all the way up through your given options on how to deal with them. There's a a big enemy that I've talked about a few times on the show. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's called Jeff. So I feel a kinship to it already. Uh, And it's, it's just an extraordinary sequence, but how Jeff is established, how you understand the rules of Jeff from the beginning. And then there are layers and layers of how Jeff is, is introduced to you. What, powers you have to deal with Jeff, how the final solution in dealing with Jeff, you feel like you discovered, but the game laid out for you in a very specific way, all feel very satisfying. They feel very, and ultimately Jeff's fate is extremely satisfying uh, because you are given choices and you know, you know, at every step of the way, what everything means and how difficult that enemy has been to you up to that point and previously. So you experience Jeff in one way and you have very limited means to deal with him. Then you, you feel like you vanquished Jeff and you get to the next section and Jeff is back. And now you have new ways to deal with Jeff. And ever at every step, you understand how big of a deal this is. And you feel more empowered even as the threat is increasing as well. So that's like the, that's like the classical Nintendo way of teaching you something. That's like the Miyamoto school of game design, right? Like you're given a you're given a round rubber ball and you're in a room and it's like, oh, you can bounce the red rubber ball against the walls and you learn what the red rubber ball can do and you can play with it. There's nothing you need to do, but it's fun to play with a red rubber ball, so you can. And then the second time this comes up, maybe you need to throw it through like a little hoop. And then it's like, okay, I've learned a skill with this red rubber ball that previously I was just playing with and the play ended up being like a training thing. And now I learned that I can throw it through the circle. And then by the third time you see it, you better have mastered throwing it through a circle because things are about to get intense and you should have mastered it. And that's kind of like how Miyamoto like has always done it. And I think so many people like take that three step process of zero stakes. It's just play. You have to do something. You have to be effective with it in some way. And then by the third time you see it, you better have gotten really good. And it's your own fault if you haven't. Right. So I almost wonder why I haven't played Final Fantasy VII Remake. That probably is what I'm going to jump into after Doom Eternal. Like, why don't they have the thing show up? Just wipe the floor with you without a second thought. Just as powerful as you think you are, you are nothing to this thing. And then you're like, okay, we have one more shot. But we have to do like basically a heist sequence where we're just shutting things down so that when we meet this enemy again, then suddenly it has meaning. And like, you're right, there's stakes. You have a reason to care and to think about it because you know that if you don't do this correctly, what happened before will happen again. Without a second thought, this thing can just smear you across the wall. Yeah. I mean, there is... There are numerous games I could point to where uh, I have a, an old colleague named Dan Trachtenberg. He used to talk about the good suck. Uh, games games introduced the good suck, which is like, oh my god, this sucks! Oh, this sucks so much. You know, actually, a great game I'll I'll bring up that's recently released: Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Ori and the Will of the Wisps 
does this beautifully where it'll, you'll do something over and over again. And it's, it's so hard. And just as you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm used to doing this. The game goes, okay, here's a new skill where you don't even need to do that anymore. And you go, oh my God, it's so awesome that I just got this new skill because this thing that has been sucking to do, it just, uh, I don't have to do it anymore. I, I'm more powerful now. I feel like I've done something incredible. I've achieved something incredible, which allows me to take away something that previously sucked or was challenging. And that's what Final Fantasy VII Remake wants to accomplish in that sequence. Is like, hey, those big bombs that this big bad guy is going to drop on you are going to be terrible. But you have an opportunity to spend your key cards to get rid of them. Except I have no context for why they're terrible. It just tells me they're going to be terrible. It just goes, it literally has text. It's like, if you get hit with one of these big bombs, it'll be bad news for your whole party. It's like, well, that sounds like something I want to avoid, but I don't know. It doesn't, I don't have any emotional feeling when he doesn't throw the bomb because I didn't know what the bomb was going to do in the first place or how difficult it would be to deal with. So anyway, I, I do think the game is very, very good and I don't mean to harp on it, but it, it was a very specific sequence. I just went, this is completely backwards and just really bad game design. And maybe it's because I don't even re- honestly don't even remember if that sequence is even in the original because um, I barely remember the, the, the original 23 years later or whatever it is. Um, but maybe they just did it because it's in the original. But they had an opportunity to, I think, make it more interesting and, and cooler and feel better. And, and they didn't. So anyway, uh, but I do think the game is very, very good and I'm enjoying it. But there's a lot of stuff like that where it's like so much effort went into this moment and you drop the ball because like there's another sequence that I did uh, recently that takes place in this big, beautifully rendered slum, uh, where you have to go along these, these, um, these rooftops with uh, another character and you're kind of talking along the way. And it's, it's basically just a story sequence, but it could have been really interesting because the whole geometry of that area is fascinating and beautiful. I mean, that is really where this game shines is in its art design and presentation, but they completely steal any drama from that or any interest from it because you're literally just moving from glowy bit to glowy bit. And there's no actual decision process. You're just sort of rotely following the breadcrumbs, listening to story. And it could have been a really fascinating moment of interacting with the geometry of this world and I just, I feel like over and over and over this game is like, oh, you're so close to something completely amazing and you just kind of botched it a little bit. So I don't know, but I am liking it. I'm <laughs> still playing it, putting in many, many hours to it. Um, all right. Uh, I want to talk about VR because we have Ben here. Ben is the VR guy at Polygon. So we want to talk VR and, and some tabletop stuff. But first, I want to thank our next sponsor, which is Quip. Quip is my toothbrush. In fact, we have three quips at my house. I truly love my quip. Honestly, uh, it it just makes life easy. Why do we need anything to make life more difficult these days? Why do I have to keep track of how long I brush? I don't. Quip does it for me. Why do I have to worry about replacing my bristle head? I don't. The quip subscription does it for me. I am so glad that I don't have to worry about it. 
any of that boring stuff. Quip is a, an electronic toothbrush that has um, lovely bristles made for sensitive gums, sonic vibrations that are uh, finely tuned based on dentist recommendations. And it goes for two minutes, which is a dentist recommended amount of time to brush your teeth and pulses every 30 seconds. So you know your progress along that, that path. So you just turn it on. My mind can wander to other things. It's kind of like the, uh, the egg ink of toothbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I love it. I love it for that. And uh, also the subscription uh, every three months, as is dentist recommended, they will send you a bag with a new bristle head, which is so simple that you just click it back, click it on. It's got this cool, you know, uh, very futuristic style instruction card that comes with it. You just pop it off, pop it on. Comes with a new battery in case you need that. New toothpaste. They thought of everything. Uh, it's awesome. They also have floss refills automatically delivered, uh, and that's it's just five bucks each, which is cool. And shipping is always free. Over three million happy customers are Quip members, including me. I guess I count for three of those three million because there's three of us in my household that are using it. And it could be you. If you go to getquip.com slash DLC right now, you can get your first refill for free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash DLC. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash DLC. Quip, the good habits company. Ben, I love reading your articles about VR. I am uh, I am always reading everything you write, and uh, so I'm pleased to talk to you about the thing we both love. Um, I loved reading your thoughts on Alex, but I'd love for you to talk about that game a little bit here as well, and and we'll move on to other games. I know we've talked about Alex a lot on this show. It's just such an incredible game. So I want to hear hear you talk about it a little bit. Oh Lord, well thanks so much for all the kind words. I don't know where to start that thing. You know, it's it's such a we. It was such a weird thing to jump into because it's the first Half Life official Half Life game, and God knows how long. And it's Valve taking an actual like AAA swing at, at VR, and not in a hardware way, but in a software way. Um, that I, I I had so little idea what to expect, and my gosh, like just the. Before the game even begins, like just the splash screen, just the just the <laughs> yeah, menus of it, you it's so amazing. You get a sense that, and like an eighty-person team is huge for Valve, but it's not large in AAA gaming. Like this isn't like they just threw warm bodies and money at this thing. That's a a relatively modest team for a, a AAA release of a huge franchise. That being said, like just polish and care drips from every single tiny little pore on this thing. And I just was, and I felt like the first few hours before like combat really begins in earnest, I was starting to get worried like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't even going to be a game. This is a ride. Like I'm going to be zipping along. I'm going to see some things. I'm going to get a chance to like hit some buttons and fire some guns but like I, there won't, there won't be an ability for me to fail. It's just going to be a ride. Like I'm in line to, like right. ride one of the rides at Harry Potter Land, and things 
happen in front of me, but I get to do very little. And then I realized like five hours of it is tutorial and there's definitely places to fail. Like it does punish you if you weren't paying attention to exactly how your weapons work, why you should be collecting these upgrade points, like how to do a no look like ammo grab out of the air and then put another clip in your weapon. And it just feels amazing to play. And then I was like, well, okay, so it is a game. It's not a ride. But, like, they're not going to do much with the story of Half-Life, right? This is just going to be a placeholder. And then at the end, it's like, you're still looking forward to Half-Life 3 before we do anything with the story. And then the ending happens. <laughs> and I, I won't ruin it for anyone because especially with this game, I think it's going to be a real slow burn as people yeah. buy, you know, either upgraded computer systems or their first uh, VR hardware and they go back to play it. I think it's... I'm trying to be really careful with spoilers in general because I know that's a thing a lot of people are going to be going through for like the next year. But this story has twists and turns in at least two places my jaw completely dropped. And I was like, where are they taking this next? And by the end of it, I was like reinvested in not just like the gameplay of Half-Life, but the lore and story and characters of it, which is not anything I expected them to be able to pull off in that aspect of it. And then by the end of it, I'm just like almost throwing my hands up in frustration. Cause it's like, of course, like valve doesn't do this sort of thing often, but when it does, they're not playing <laughs> like yeah. they don't, they don't release something of this magnitude unless they know it's going to be significantly better than just about everything else on the market. And I know a lot of VR devs who were almost relieved at having played it because I think a lot of people were scared that Valve was going to go off on some new directions and invent some new things and VR interactivity that no one's seen before. There's almost none of that. Like, it works the way you'd expect a VR Half-Life game to work. It's just polished so perfectly that I don't know how anyone else is going to be able to match it anytime soon. I'm just such a huge fan and can't say enough nice things. I don't know if that's coming through. I'm going to stop now because I'm <laughs> gushing and give someone else a chance to talk. No, no, it's uh, I've believe me. Uh, I'm sure my audience is, is sick of hearing me gush about this game, but um, it is not something I ever tire of doing because it, it you're so right about everything. It, it, it's, yeah. I mean, that first splash screen, I'm just looking around going this, what, well, <laughs> this is how, a, this is how a VR game can look. And honestly, you know, as we move on and talk to talk about uh, the other VR game that both of us have played here, uh, it, it's hard for me to move to other VR games after this, because it, it does look and feel so much better than everything else. Uh, and that's not fair because there's a lot of great, great, great stuff in VR, but it just, sets a, a bar so high for polish, as you said, and everything just is exactly as you would think it should be. And there's so many little wonderful touches and flourishes here and there and how physical everything is. I mean, you talked about the upgrades for the weapons and, and like the, the idea of like placing the weapon in this contraption that has all these little moving parts and upgrades your weapon for you. And just all of that is so satisfying in VR where it looks like it's happening in front of you. And how you get health in the game and how, you know, sticking yourself with a stim and all of those things that have happened in other games, VR games in particular, but 
are done here with such a, a flourish that feels right. feels perfect. Um, it's, it's, I just, I want the next one so bad. And I want all the other VR developers to be like, okay, well, this is the new bar. Here we go. Um, so I'm, I'm bullish on the future of VR and I hope that everybody can step up to this new level. Yeah, absolutely. May I ask you both a question? And so if you've listened to the show, like, so, uh, the short version is I'm maybe moving <laughs> long version is worst time to be doing this, which is why some of my consoles are packed up. And I mentioned on the show that I had dedicated a few days to half-life Alex and my, for whatever reason, my link cable problem, 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 problem. So I do not have the eyes on experience that I wish I'd have for this game at this, at this time. But my question to both of you with this game being, such an incredible experience, right? From all accounts, the be- one of the best games of the year, a, a sure game of the year contender, perhaps one of the best VR games of all time. W- why does it still, at least to me, listening to both of you and being on the show and what I read online, it still feels like a fight. It still feels like, uh, argument's not quite the right word, but it still feels like convincing people to do it. Like what what is holding people back other than do you think it's just price or is there more of a stigma to this thing on your face that it doesn't matter how good, like pick your favorite game of all time, like whether it's the last of us for me or, you know, whatever it is, your favorite game of all time and say this best version of it is now on VR. Would that be enough or is there still something fundamentally holding this tech back? Well, I'll tell you from my perspective, uh, every time I've tweeted about half-life, Alex and talked about it positively. I get a, a lot of tweets uh, of negativity and people feel personally attacked that a franchise like this would be in VR only. Uh, they feel like it is, it is somehow made for not them, you know, that they, that somehow VR, the cost or the perceived cost and the perceived um, difficulty in the setup or the room it takes or whatever all whatever their personal barrier to entry is somehow is in a different category than a console. I, you know, because I guess you also need, you need a PC, you know, so that's an added price on top of a PC is the, the, the headset, even though, there are headsets that work with this thing that are not any more expensive than a console right now. Um, I, I think people feel like it is out of reach for them and they feel personally attacked by that. And I can understand that. I mean, we are in uncertain times and particularly uncertain economic times. So it's a, it's a poor time to be talking about a piece of technology that is uh, rather expensive, even if, I think comparatively, it's not that much more expensive than, say, a cell phone or uh, another console or what have you. It's. I think there is a disproportionate view in people's heads that it is more expensive than some of these other things, that they would more readily buy a new cell phone than they would a VR headset. Um, but I can understand. I can understand that perspective. Uh, but it is. it does feel like there is this sort of anger around the technology that I find a little saddening personally. Yeah. I, I think, I think there is a little bit of a sense of like, well, I was with this, this franchise from the beginning and like, how dare you create, a, create the newest game in a way that I can't play or that I don't 
like have the means or, or it's something that they just don't want to. And when you say like, why are people hesitant about VR? There's so, there's so many reasons to be, um, it is expensive. Like you can get an, an Oculus quest for 400. That's not a huge amount of money, but you can't find them. They're often sold out. And if you want to play half-life Alex, you need to connect that $400 peripheral to a thousand dollar gaming PC. Like at the low end, probably, if you want to really see it come to life visually. And then you need space. You need a standing area of the house that no one is going to just like walk in front of you and get slapped in the face as you're fighting people. Um, I think a lot of people get very uncomfortable with just putting something over their eyes and ears and not being able to know what's going on around them. We're, we're so, we're so obsessed with multitasking these days and you can't multitask in VR right now. You know, when you're waiting for even like a short load time on your PC or your console, you're looking at your phone, you're reading something. Sorry, could you repeat that? I was looking at Twitter while you were talking. I think you made a good point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so there's there's certainly that. People don't like to be locked away in another world where they don't have like a virtual version of their phone to look at. And <laughs> And I think a lot of people have just in general through the years, especially if they're they're slightly older and have been in the tech space for a while they've had dozens upon dozens of bad experiences with vr equipment that just doesn't work very well and they are like i don't want to play half-life and that not realizing that like the new technology is you know 10 generations past so i i get it i hope those barriers begin to be broken down as time goes on um but yeah i definitely a lot of the complaints aren't like meritless. It's not people being unfair. I, I hope they kind of open themselves up to being convinced more as time goes on. But yeah, there's like, it's a, it's a challenge to get people into something like that. I just wonder, and maybe the answer is just, you know, eyes on time, right? Cause like it, you can watch half-life Alex playthroughs on YouTube or Twitch or whatever. And it's not the same pick your VR game, Astrobot, whatever. And and maybe that is the answer is just seeing is experiencing is believing. But I think Half-Life Alex is kind of the latest game that has made me question like what it will take or if this technology can become mainstream. And while I have certainly purchased my share of headsets and I enjoy VR, I think anyone that listens to the show knows I'm not, you know, as high on it as Jeff is. And I, and I feel like maybe this is where AR can is, is the chosen you know, mainstream platform. And and I don't necessarily think that's a good thing in terms of types of experiences we can get. But yeah, I don't know, as I've been sitting here, not able (laughs) to play Half-Life Alex, despite wanting to, um, I just question like what it can do, what, what can happen to kind of break down this barrier or disinterest maybe. I don't know what the right word is, but I I don't know. I just can't shake the thought. I think where you're, where where you're right, Christian, is that if Half-Life Alex had come out as an exclusive on the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 5 was priced at $500 or whatever it is, no one would make the same arguments. No one would say, oh, how could they put Half-Life on a console that costs that much and it's the only way I can play it? I, I don't think that that is just the expected thing that happens is that new consoles come out and there are exclusives on them and that's the price that's the price to play that new version of the thing um i do think there's a bit of a difference here that somehow it, this is maybe viewed as a peripheral or as a, as some other i i think there's even residual negativity from the whole 
you know, 3D movies thing. And it feels like this gimmick in some ways, even though those of us who've played it know that it is very different than that. Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of a lot of those feelings that are all jumbled up in, in a lot of minds. Right it's now. I, I follow like the whole idea of exclusivity is so fascinating right now because there's so much like anger it or acceptance in different amounts depending on what you're talking about like we don't get upset that the new halo game isn't coming to playstation 5 that's fine but if epic pays someone to release something that on the epic game store and not steam that's crossing a line and if you if you create something that's vr only my god you just declared war and like, what are the, how, how, how are these people deciding what to get angry about? Like, I don't feel like there's a lot of bitterness that people can't play the last Spider-Man on an Xbox uh, console. And like Sony bought Insomniac, right? Like, yeah. you're not going to be playing an Insomniac developed Spider-Man game, which is a Sony property, uh, licensing is probably way more complicated than that but for the for the benefits of this discussion it's like it's locked down 18 different ways right but and that's fine like we don't get upset about that we don't get upset about xbox series x won't have uncharted we just that's fine but why do we care so much about exclusivity when it comes to vr or not vr or different digital stores in the PC space. Like no one really knows what exclusivity means anymore (laughs) or if it's changing or if it's going to be a timed thing or there, I've seen people argue that I can't, I'm just going to wait until they do the non VR version of half-life Alex. And that game would be terrible. Like, no, it's great. You have two mice. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that there's a there's some sort of mod that just came out that lets you play through it non VR, which is like, why would you even want to do that to yourself? But whatever. It only works if you have to actually like aim with your gun. If you're just pointing at things with a mouse and clicking, none of the difficulty is scaled for that. It'd be ridiculously boring. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's not even it's not about that way. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I apologize. I'll probably bring this up again in a few months. Like every few months, this kind of surfaces for me where it's like this is going to be the thing or thing, and then there still seems resistance to it. And I just find it fascinating. And I think some of it maybe is just accessibility of tech or things that we are used to. And I'm not discounting those. And I realize that I'm very privileged to be afforded the opportunity to experience the tech that I'm able to. And I, I don't want to discount that in any way, shape, or form either. But I do, I just find it interesting that every time something, a a new big VR game or whatever it is, um, kind of reassess what it would take to get this technology, you know, really, really mainstream and more than just like, oh, fun. No, I did that once. (laughs) You know, I've done that. It was fun and not an everyday thing. I think it's going to happen, as you know, but I do. Yeah. No. All right. Well, we're going from uh, future tech to uh, the most primitive tech by talking about tabletop stuff. But first, I want to thank our final sponsor, which is Audible. Uh, Audible wants to t- wants me to tell you about Escape from Virtual Island, a new scripted audio commentary written by John Lutz of SNL and Thirty Rock, and starring Paul Rudd, who leads an all star comedy cast. 
um, Jack McBriar, Paula Pell, Amber Ruffin, a bunch of your favorite comedy favorite <laughs> favorite comedy favorites, a bunch of your comedy favorites in a genre hopping madcap comedy adventure uh, set on a remote luxury resort island in the year 2038. Adventure seekers flock here to live out their wildest fantasies in custom-made, yes, that's right, virtual reality simulations. When an important guest goes missing, a ragtag search party led by Paul Rudd's maladjusted resort air plunge deep into the world of VR in hopes of returning with the lost guest and some sense of reality. Start your spring off completely lost in comedy delight. Escape from virtual island Listen free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash virtual island or text virtual island to 500-500. Right now, right now. So I wanted to do a quick tabletop time uh, today because Ben has been playing some things that we, we talk a lot about board games. We talk a lot about role-playing games. We talk a lot about in this segment, we talk a lot about a lot of different tabletop games. What we have never talked about are games of agility and skill like Crokinole and Clask. And that's what Ben has been playing. And I'm so fascinated to hear, especially during this, this time of uh, staying at home and being quarantined I'm fascinated that you've been playing Crokinole and Clask. I'm I'm so excited to jump from virtual reality to Crokinole. <laughs> like, yeah. I, are you aware of the game? Like, do you, do you know Crokinole? I have wanted a Crokinole table for years. I just have never pulled the trigger on that. I finally, this past Christmas, timing couldn't have been better. I was in the same boat. Um, and I was always looking for an excuse because boards aren't cheap. Like no, they, be- no, they, are not. they begin at like 110, 115. And that's if you can find like an entry level board on sale, like 115, 160 is kind of where they really begin. But you can spend a lot of money on a crocodile. Oh, you can spend $800. And like, there are families who've passed crocodile boards down like generation to generation. And then you get into priceless areas. It's ridiculous. But what I'm going to do with my Oculus quest, just so you just know. pass it down. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh, it's like your uh, your first Apple Watch you're gonna give to your kid and be like, <laughs> it will only play at, at their wedding <laughs> one app. It turns on once every twenty times, but but it's made out of porcelain. It's a beautiful piece. <laughs> <laughs> so Crokinole is a I I believe it it's mostly a Canadian game. Canadians are going bonkers for this and have been for time immemorial. Um, if I just inspired a lot of hate mail from Canadians, I dis- I apologize. Um, <laughs> I think it was, yeah, I disavow on my statement. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can edit this out later. Uh, and it's this <laughs> large board, and you basically flick pieces from the outside, and you can either you wax or sand the board, depending on how you like to play, or you sand the pieces. And you have to get it in the middle area, and then once one of the white or the black or whatever two colors you want to use. Once one of those pieces is on the board, the other player has to hit that piece with their piece, unless you get it into the hole in the center of the board, in which case it's removed from the board completely and you bank 20 points. And each of the areas around the board is worth a differing amounts of points. And at the end of each round, you add up 
the amount of points that each player has, and only one person or one team scores per round, and the scoring is the difference. So if one person gets 80 and the other person gets 70, the winning person gets 10 points. And you play to 100. And it's kind of like a circular version of shuffleboard. Yeah, yeah. It sounds really silly when you try to sell it verbally. But it's a it's a super fun game. Uh, it takes about five minutes to learn how to play. Like, the skill ceiling can get immense. There's strategies where you can control the board or force the other player to have to hit your pieces on, like in a way that makes it very, very difficult because if you don't hit the other player's piece, you have to remove all of your pieces from the board, which means they can be huge swings in scoring depending on how well you do. But it's a game that like you're physically doing something on this large surface and watching things skitter around and ricochet in ways that like you might not see coming. And there's always surprises and people pull off amazing trick shots, but it's also really easy to talk to the other person or you can play 2v2 and talk with the other people around the board as you're playing. It's almost like something you're doing while you're doing, while you're socializing. It's like a bar game in Canada. People go out to the pub and they'll be playing Crokinole for hours and just slamming beers and talking about what happened in the past week. And it's very relaxing, very tactile. I like just clinking the, the wooden pieces together, like in my hand as I'm waiting for my turn. And there's just something about having these, like, as far as I can tell, there aren't many, like, mass-produced crokinole boards in the United States. So you're always ordering it from some, like, small company that's hand-cranking these things out. Each one is always slightly different, and it's just, it feels like a throwback. And you spend a little bit of money on it, but then it feels special. And I, I like all those aspects of it, and I find it very, very relaxing. Ah, oh, you're making me want to get one. I just, I'm just googling and and looking at this. There's some such beautiful work. You know, these are there's some like lacquered wood, just gorgeous tables out there. And you know, it's 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 basically billiards for people that can't fit a billiard table in their house. That's a, that's you know? a really good way to put it. And it's like it is a larger thing, but it's small enough that you can fit it on like just about any dinner table. Like you don't need a huge amount of space. This is like, you know, a little bit larger than like a Monopoly board. So it's it's not out of control. So that's Crokinole, uh, but you've also been playing Clask, right? So Clask is a game that's like, it's strangely like air hockey, where you have your like paddle on the top of the board and you're hitting a ball back and forth using a magnet on the underside of the board. And then there's these other, like, there's three plastic pieces on the board that you can also hit at the other player. And if those three pieces become magnetically connected to their paddle, then you score a point. So it's like a very, very strange upside-down version of air hockey that gets wildly intense very, very, very quickly. Yeah, the first time I'd ever seen this was when the uh, Shut Up and Sit Down guys talked about it. And uh, it's fascinating because it, it, like you don't see the other player's hands, right? right. Both of your hands are under the table. 
So you both are just staring at this board and everything is moving as if by magic, right? <laughs> and it's so it's so much fun. And these are games that like you can play with your kids, you can play with your buddies, you can play with anybody. And they're such a great time. And especially now as so many of us are like, you know, locked inside with people, like those distractions, especially like physical distractions where you're you're moving your body and you're playing these games where like the laws of physics matter. I think are, are there's such a great respite from everything being electronic. So cool. So cool. Um, and if you want to get into a fist fight, if you don't want it to be mellow, if you don't want to just socialize, put like a few bucks on every game, not a lot, like $5 yeah. a game. You're going to see people getting salty real quick. And that's a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I always if people talk about foosball, like it, it, these are the games, man. Crokinole and Clask, I think it, foosball is 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 just basically random. It's like it's not, not a game I've ever enjoyed, but man, uh, a Crokinole game, a board or a Clask uh, look like so much more fun. Yeah, there's so much strategy, and it's the the sort of strategy that like slowly reveals itself the more games you put in, and it opens up so slowly, and I love that about it. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We do have uh, parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Ben Kuchera, it is always so fun to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully it won't be another four years before we make that happen again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was a great time. Awesome. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and your work online. I mean, everything is still at Polygon.com and just Twitter at Ben Kuchera. I'm not hard to track down. All right. Very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? You'd think I'd know by now, but maybe moving? Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe moving. It's a fun game I like to call, am I moving or not? Am I moving? Uh, I was going to make a joke earlier in the show. Like, I forget exactly the point, but either you or Ben, someone said something. And I was going to be like, uh, yeah, my wife said the same thing to me. And it was going to be like a sad thing about like our marriage isn't going well. But then I realized I had mentioned maybe moving and I don't, it's like, <laughs> That's that's not what's happening. Like two jokes like that would sit poorly together in an audio oh, space. That's funny. That's um, funny. <laughs> I may be moving unless this whole arbitration thing works out. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, it's, but because there's still a chance. Um, but the, the 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 things I would point people to would be Twitter, which is at Spicer, and then twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer, where I stream this show. Typically, it's Sundays at 715 um but also that is subject to change that's where twitter comes in and then may is going to be the month where i'm doing most of my streaming in support of saint jude children's research hospital and helping raise funds for them so that um kids can beat cancer and it's something that's very personal to me and i'd hope that you come along on that journey you can find the donation link uh pinned on my twitter profile or also in show notes to this very show and like i said a lot of fun stuff uh scheduled for may Fridays and Saturdays. And then I guess this show on Sunday. So your weekends are covered um, where you can hang out with me on Twitch. Very cool. Very, very cool. I'm excited to be a part of that and excited to watch the stuff that I'm not a part of and and excited to see. uh, Yeah, I need your help in Monster Hunter, buddy. I need everybody's help where that's going to be. Last year, Sekiro was fun. So I'm hoping that this blind spot also. I think you'll dig it. I honestly think you're going to dig it with the way you enjoy those more um, precision based fighting systems i think you're gonna date the key is is this is why i tweeted at you what i tweeted at you today which is i think the key is for you to find a class that you really click with so yeah, but did you, don't, did don't did make you a rash decision said? 
Yeah, you can go. That's what I did. You go into the home. I'm never going to leave right? my house. <laughs> well, you go. You can pick. You have this little area where you can pick uh, every single class and try the weapons out and see what what's fun. And uh, just you know, go with your heart. Go with what's fun. But but try all of them because they're all very 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 different. So, yeah, yeah. I think you're gonna dig it. All right. Uh, as far as me, you can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada, which is spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, I do a movie review show called the Slash Filmcast. Uh, we're talking about, oh, we have a cool guest. I don't even think I can reveal who it is yet. Uh, but we have a cool guest this week talking about um, one of Bong Joon-ho's uh, older movies that the guest requested that we talk about. So we have a very special famous guest and it uh, should be fun. Uh, and, uh, you can also hear the new returning. We have concerns with Anthony Carboni and myself talking science and comedy. Uh, it is a comedy science show that we did for four years and we took two years off. Now we're back. Uh, so you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com or anywhere you get podcasts search for, we have concerns. I guarantee a laugh and maybe you'll learn something. Also, The Dungeon Run, which is my live play Dungeons and Dragons show. Uh, give it a shot. I think you're going to dig it. You don't have to learn. You don't have to watch any previous ones. Jump into the new episode. Uh, this last week's episode was quite a great one. It was really, really wild and fun. Um, we had a big tavern brawl uh, where everybody was fighting and swinging through the rafters. and It was wild. Uh, and uh, we're kind of doing the side quest while we're in lockdown. So check it out. You can find it on YouTube by searching for The Dungeon Run. Uh, you can find it as an audio podcast by searching for The Dungeon Run wherever you get audio podcasts. Or you can watch us live as we record Sunday night, excuse me, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. All right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Ben, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I think this is the time, as we're all quarantined, to really look around wherever you're living and find, like, one or two things that really annoys you about it and fix them. And that can be, like, the color of a room, paint it. It could be, like, that one doorknob that always jingles and never quite work, fix it. Like, yeah. this is this is the time, I think, to make our immediate surroundings as comfortable as we possibly can. And I think we just get so used to being bothered by certain things that we almost forget we have the power to make it better. Like find something little and just chip away at it until it gets, gets better. Boy, that's a great suggestion. It's something I've been trying to do and I need to do more of, especially with you. If you live with other people, you will make them so happy. If you do that one little thing, if you stop that doorknob from clicking or whatever it is, they'll be like, oh my God, I, that's amazing that you did that. It's a great gift to give people as well if you live with people. Great suggestion. Christian Spicer, how about you? What, what's your parting gift? You know, just move in the middle of a pandemic. Just, you know, if you didn't <laughs> I don't have one feel thing like to like about your current place, uh, pack all your stuff up and go do No, not that. Um, <laughs> I am late to the game on, on this show, but uh, I started watching The Outsider on HBO and Stephen King book that a friend of mine really enjoyed the book um, and re then recommended the show. And I kind of, I don't know why I didn't watch it when it first came out. But it is incredible. I have not finished it yet, but it is also truly horrifying. My wife and I are watching it together. 
this ma- again makes it sound like we're having problems. <laughs> <laughs> then my wife stopped, and now I'm. Mo- um. <laughs> <laughs> that was really that that outsider that did it. It was just over the edge, and now I'm moving. She got too scared, uh, and she had to stop. So now I'm unchained. So I imagine I'll finish it <laughs> probably this weekend or today. But it is phenomenal, and if you two have not watched it for whatever reason, I really recommend it. But it is it is terrifying, and I think um, Jason Bateman. I don't know if he's underappreciated, but he directs a bunch of episodes. He's in a bunch of episodes alongside Ozark, which is, it's just like. Ben Mendelsohn's so good in that show too. It is. He is. Yeah. Outsider on HBO. Check it out if you haven't, but please know it is unsettling and very scary. It's dark. Especially if you have kids. It's about dead kids. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, It goes places. But it's very good. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, oh, we have a, a listener suggested parting gift. This one sent in from Christian's from wife who says, Hey, Christian, she says, here's a bunch of things I don't like about you. I left your stuff on the front porch. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is from Bob from Seattle, Washington. Uh, Bob talking about something that I mentioned last week. Bob says, mm-hmm. love the show. Been listening for a long time and have never been motivated to write in until now. After hearing Jeff name Pecan Pralines as his favorite Trader Joe's item, I thought I'd add my two cents. I've been working at Trader Joe's for the last 10 years, and while the last two months have certainly been the strangest, I still look forward to going in every day. Thank you, Bob. You honestly, the people who go into work during this time and and make sure we have food to buy and food to eat. Honestly, you have our sincere thank you. Yes, sir. Bob continues, my favorite product by far is the Italian bomba sauce found in a cute little glass jar. These crushed fermented Calabrian peppers, Calabrian, Calabrian, uh, add a healthy amount of heat and flavor to pretty much anything savory. Pizza, eggs, sandwiches, crackers. It's an extremely versatile product. Give it a try next time you visit. It's worth waiting in line for. Thanks for the show and stay safe. Bob, please stay safe yourself. We appreciate you sending this in to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I'm so excited to try these. If somebody who has worked at Trader Joe's for 10 years says this is the best thing there, I'm all try it. Sounds really good. So again, that is uh, Italian bomba sauce, which are these crushed fermented Calabrian Calabrian peppers. Uh, If you want to have your... Parting gift on the show, dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Mine uh, is something I, you know, we talked about Tim from the Midnight uh, being on your stream. Uh, I'm going to bring up the Midnight again. We have talked about the Midnight a lot of times on the show. Uh, Both you and I love their music. And it turns out my three-year-old son loves their music as well. And I had an extraordinary experience this week. Um, My son, who's three, about three and a half, has learned how to ride a bike without without training wheels. He's amazing on it. And it has been the single most joyous part of the quarantine has been our daily bike rides. I've been taking my son out on a bike ride every day. We just bike around our neighborhood. I let him pick which direction we go. We don't really see many people. We just bike and and it's been springtime weather. It has been amazing. But just yesterday, he discovered, I, I got an old Bluetooth speaker, a JBL Bluetooth speaker that I think was sent to us, sent to me by JBL at some point, um, which I'm grateful for. Um, and my son had been playing with it, uh, listening to music through it or whatever. And he was like, Hey daddy, can we put this on my bike? And I was like, 
I don't see why not. It kind of looks like a, a lock that you would have on a locker. So it has like a hook on the top. So I hooked it on his handlebars and we put the midnight on. He goes, dad, can we listen to the midnight? Cause he loves them. He loves the midnight. He knows all the songs. He knows all the lyrics to all the songs. And we started biking and we went to this, this, uh, the, the mall by our house. Uh, no one's there. So that the, the parking lot is huge and empty, devoid of cars. So we bike to the mall and we just ride around in the parking lot with this Bluetooth speaker jamming, jamming. And we cranked up. He's like mouthing the words and saying the words to all the midnight songs. I'm following him on my bike with my phone in my pocket, sending the song to the, to the, the Bluetooth speaker. Unbelievable. So my recommendation is listen to the midnight. If you haven't heard us before and, and it, it's, it's inspired you to do it. And maybe, uh, maybe, you know, listen and ride because there's nothing better than the midnight on the open road as you, as the wind is in your hair. I know we're supposed to stay in these days, but if you can find a, un, uh, you know, an untrafficked area in your neighborhood where you can just kind of get out and be on a bike for a little while, I can't recommend it high enough. Also, Jeff, if you haven't, or our listeners, um, they did a fundraiser, One Beating Heart. It was live on, you can yes. find it on their YouTube and it was a live stream, but it's still up and it's benefiting um, COVID-19 relief. And it, 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 if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's putting together things from their homes and it's really, really great. So it's One Beating Heart and you can find it on the Midnight's YouTube. It was live yesterday when we were recording this, but it's truly phenomenal. And I love I love what they do. And their what their music is so great. I have so, bad news so for you though, Jeff. You do realize by doing what you did... Um, you either are going to be visited by, at best case scenario, a rhesus loving little alien, or at worst case scenario, real demons are going to come visit you because a kid riding a bike, listening to like synth wave, like that. If media has taught me anything, like this is not a ha- the beginning of a happy movie. You know that those movies turn out okay, especially for the kid. Avoid the red balloon by the gutter is all I'm saying. Like, oh, that's is- mo- that movie. I thought you were going like. um Super Eight and uh, and ET. Best case scenario, yes, that's best oh, yeah. case. Which still often has a few people for. die in it. Like those aren't always happy. Those movies all start inside the global pandemic that's happening, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, that's it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Ben Kachera and Kristen Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors Patrick L, Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun musical interludes. Uh, Thank you to all the folks in our chat for hanging out with us in real time. Thank you to you for listening to the show. We really appreciate you, especially during this time. We'll be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.